0: It's Time with Pastor Mike Kessler starts now. Over the mountains, over the mountains, I hear the calling. It's time. it's time. It's Time. This is It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN International. Featuring Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River. Today, Pastor Mike is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Located way back in the Old Testament, the books of First and 2 Samuel are the legacy that reveals the change from God-appointed judges over the people to the Kingdom era, where the Jews are ruled over by a king, both a departure from God's ways and a foreshadow of God's ways. With our study on the book of 1 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike.
1: Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Actually, he's nothing more than a murderer. We remember here just a chapter or two ago that he murdered all the priests because they had helped David go into the wilderness. And David actually told the priests the lie, and yet the priests are the ones that paid for it. David recognized that. But again, you see this super spiritual candy-coating Uh, upon these people like this, and it's still around today, and you just need to be aware of it. So, then Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord. You've had compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure, and see the place where the hideout is, and who has seen him there, for I am told that he's very crafty. See therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you, And it will be that in the land I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So he's saying, listen, you you go out, you spy it out for me. You tell me where he's hiding out, and that way I can come and get him. Now, I heard that he's very crafty. I think this is amazing to me. Because actually David was not really crafty. He was simply a man that prayed. And uh, every time that uh, Saul would make a plan to capture him... David would pray and God would tell him what the plan was. So I guess you might say God was kind of crafty here because uh, God was actually the one that was giving David the information to get out of the hand of Saul. So they arose, went to zip before Saul, and David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain south of Jesmim. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of my own. And there Saul heard that he pursued David in the wilderness of my own. So Saul went on one side of the mountain. David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, hasten and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore, Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they call that place of the rock, the rock of escaping. And then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. Now, this place of Engedi is an interesting place. I've been there and uh, it's a long, narrow canyon. In fact, uh, the canyon is about as wide as this room is. Uh, from this wall over here to this wall over here, and it's miles long. And you hike back there, and at the very end of this, of this canyon, there's a waterfall. And you can see why David would go there, because it was, it's like really a cool place to hang out. I mean, like if you had a, a vacation and you just wanted to take a couple weeks, this would be the place to go. There in Israel, on, on the other end of it, it, it's, it goes out towards the Dead Sea, but here in this canyon, and because it's a canyon and it and and then the the direction that it runs the sun only gets to the middle of it uh right in the middle of the day and then as soon as the sun starts dropping down the the sides of the canyon begin to um give it shade and it's full of caves all along on both sides and there and, and where that waterfall is there's a little stream that runs through it so there's water there there's a good place to take a shower there's there's you know I mean it's a neat place it's it's one of those places that uh, maybe someday when we have a chance to go to Israel we'll hang out there for a while cuz it is it's really um no wonder David went there it was a really a great place to go because it had everything basically you needed well it tells us here that it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was made known to him saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and went to seek David and his men in the rocks of the wild goats. And this again, as you go back into this canyon, you can see that. Now we're, we're kind of familiar with canyons here in southern Idaho. We have a lot of them here, but uh, it's, it's like a wash that came through. And, and, and like I say, the, the canyon walls are, are fairly high um, probably, um, oh, I'm thinking probably somewhere around 150, 200 feet tall in, in this canyon that you go back in. And it's not a real wide canyon, but it's, like I say, it's filled with caves. Well, uh, David uh, is there, and uh, notice it says here, uh, so he came to the sheepfolds by the road, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend his needs. Now, there's a lot of discussion what his needs might be, but um, you can probably think of some things, uh, and it may very well be that maybe he also went in there to take a nap, which was customary uh, for a lot of people in those because the, it is so extremely hot there uh, that um, in the middle of the afternoon you could get into one of these caves. It was maybe forty-five degrees because it's in the. It's like going down in your basement on a hot day. You go down in your basement and it's nice and cool down there. Well, this is what they would do, and they would take a nap or whatever. Well. So he's in there taking care of his needs. And David happened to be, and his men were staying in that same recesses of the cave. So uh, this cave was evidently fairly deep. Saul came into the mouth of the cave. And there he did whatever he was doing, taking a nap, whatever it was. And David was farther back in with his guys. And they're going, whoa, can you believe this? Notice. It says, the men of David said to him, this is the day which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now, so you could just see Saul in there taking a snooze and or or whatever else, but his coat was off. And so David sneaks up, cuts off a corner of his robe. Now, he did this to show Saul later on, I believe, that, hey, listen, I could have killed you just as easy as I could have cut off the corner of your rope. But I didn't do that because I, I I have nothing against you. Well, he tells him here that after he'd cut that off, it says that, uh, that his heart troubled him because he'd cut Saul's robe. There are some people that believe that the part that he cut off was actually that part that identifies him. Um, uh, there's a a uh, there are people that believe that in those days that there was an identifying mark on every soldier. That's why you could tell who got killed in a, in a in a war. I mean, you didn't look at their dog tag; they didn't have one. But there was actually a way that they would tie knots on a string, and depending on how those knots were tied, would tell um that it would tell um who they were. Uh, and so it was almost like uh, your charge card number, if you will. And, and so depending on how the knots were tied, where they were at on that string, would tell the person what tribe they were from, what family they were from, depending on how it was tied. And so therefore it was your identification. In fact, some people said that it was actually so accurate that they actually could actually use it for credit where they would imprint it into soft clay and, and be able to, uh, know who it was because of, of the placement of the strings and the knots on the string. Well, Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But one thing for sure is is if he did cut that, it very well, some people believe that what he cut off his robe was actually that identifying mark off of his robe, who he was. Well, whichever way it is, it doesn't matter. David felt bad that he cut really off the corner of the king's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. The Lord anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is anointed of the Lord. Now, again, David still recognized, as kooky as Saul was, that God allowed him to be in the position that he was in. Now, I don't know if God would have judged David if he had killed him right there or not. But the thing is, nevertheless, David still had to live with David. Now, friends, I'll tell you this. This is an important thing that I think is worth learning here. All things are lawful for us as Christians, but not all things are expedient or the best for us. As a Christian, I go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross, not because of any other reason. However, if we rebel against the Lord or we sin, again, we know that we'll be forgiven, but there is a consequence to pay, and we may not necessarily want to pay that. We can always put and say, well, look, I'm forgiven by God. It doesn't really matter if I if I sin or not because I know God's going to forgive me. That's true. But the thing is at the same time we have to remember that you still have to live with you. And you have to live with the consequences of what you do. And so even though David could have killed Saul at that moment, he didn't do it. But the thing is the reason why I believe he didn't do it is because I think he would have had to deal and live with that thought. Now again friends, we we have to live with ourselves. You can't just uh, ignore uh, the things that you've done in your past that got you to this point, and especially even the things you've done as a Christian. Many times we would say, "Golly, you know, Lord, you were telling me all along not to do that, and I did it anyway." And well, I'm, I'm really sorry. And we still have to live with us. We still have that same. Um, we still have that same consciousness. Of, of, of the accumulation of the things we've done in our life. And this is one last thing that David wanted in his life to know that he had murdered or killed Saul. And even though it wouldn't have been murder, it would have been what we would call self-defense because the whole reason Saul was there in that cave was looking for David to kill him. But um, David felt bad that he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe because he was the king. And at one time, he was, in fact, called by God to be the king over Israel. So... It says that David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And David also arose afterwards and went out from the cave and called out to Saul saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped his face uh, to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch my hand out against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see that the corner of your robe is in my hand. He said, uh, that, see, the, the corner of your robe is in my hand. So he was proving to him that saying, yes, I, see, I really could have killed you. <laughs> here it is right here. Now, evidently, what we find here is that Saul went out of the cave. And as he got a little distance away, and we'll see why this is in a second, that it was a distance that was between him. In other words, he didn't follow him out of the cave 50 foot behind. This evidently, he put some good distance between him because David knew then that uh, if if this did not go well, um, they would they would have a, a chance to run or something else. So he waited some distance. And the reason why we recognize this is David could uh, Saul could not for sure identify that that was David. We'll see this here. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see that it's the corner of your robe in my hand for uh, in it I, the corner of uh, for I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea. This is what David is saying about himself. Therefore, let the Lord be the judge between you and me. See and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. And so it was when David finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David lifted up his voice and Saul lifted up his voice and wept. It's interesting here that he said, is that really you? Um, and again, I believe this is why there was some distance between other, otherwise he would have recognized who he was up close. And then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown me this day how you dealt with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king. It's interesting that he knew this. This is something that the Lord had evidently shown Saul. And this is why Saul continued to try to kill David, because he knew that God had anointed him. And and so this is interesting to me that now we're finding true confessions of why, in fact, indeed Saul did want to kill him. I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Now, therefore, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul and Saul went home and David and his men uh, went up to the stronghold. So uh, it's interesting here that David did not say, okay, they all put their arms around each other and all went back to Jerusalem. Uh, David didn't trust Saul. And there's good reason for it because we find that um, uh, Saul continues to uh, come after David. This wasn't the end. Even though Saul would always make all these proclamations and declarations and it all sounded real good, but the problem is Saul really wasn't changed in his heart. So he'd always go back to what he was before. Now in this next chapter, we find a little bit of a a change, a little bit of a break because David did not trust Saul. Saul is now living on the backside of the wilderness. And of course, he's got all his men, somewhere between four and 600 guys with him. And it takes quite a lot of food to feed that many people. Anybody here knows you just, if you just got one mouth to feed, that's quite a bit. Well, you figure having 600 or better uh, to take care of. Well, It says here that Samuel dies, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah, and David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Uh, This was a uh, the end of the last governing prophet over Israel. When the people came to Samuel and said, we want a king like everybody else, Samuel was bummed out. He goes to the Lord and said, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They rejected me. A man they want, a man they'll get. And they got this guy named Saul. Now, we know that Saul, of course, because he would not do what God said, God rejected him. And uh, then Samuel anointed David to be uh, his predecessor. And he was going to be the next king. Well, again... We find this this chiding of Saul against David because David, uh anointing was very clear to be seen. And friends, I'll tell you this. When God is a, a active in your life, people see that. They see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. They see the things that God has done in your ministry. They see the things that, that God has done uh, by your hand. And you know what? Some people, they're going to applaud that, put their arm around you and say, praise God, ain't God good. And there's others that are going to say, we're jealous and we're going to take it. How can we destroy this person? And this is what you see. Go on. Now, you would like to say and believe that this is just in the Old Testament and this isn't active today. Well, I'll tell you, it was active in Jesus' day. It was active in Paul's day. And friends, it's active today as well. And, and you see that. We remember when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. You'd think the Pharisees would have said, wow, you know, I've been living a long time and I've never seen anybody walk up to a tomb, call some dead guy out and he walks out. Man, this guy could be God. This is pretty impressive. How does he do that? Strings, wires? What does he do? You know what they said? Now we not only have to kill Jesus, but we have to kill Lazarus also. You see, you can't have a living testimony of the fruit of your ministry walking around telling everybody, Jesus brought me back from the dead. We find that Saul, or maybe I should say Paul in the New Testament, uh, again, there were people insanely jealous Of what God was doing in his life when you'd see the miracles wrought at the hands of Peter and the other disciples Instead of them saying wow the same power that was in Jesus that set people free is is now in his disciples and in us They were saying we've got to kill him We we got to get rid of him Because you could never have the real thing alongside the fake thing because the real thing always has fruit in it The fake thing always is a deception and so we find that here Saul was insanely jealous of, of, of David. And so we find that God had declared through Samuel to Saul, God has torn your kingdom out of your hand and given it to another. David was that person. Now Saul uh, is dead. Uh, this great prophet of God who guided Israel, now he's uh, with uh, with the Lord. So he says, now verse 2, Now uh, there was a man in Maon." His business was in Carmel and uh, the man's name uh, the man was very rich. He had 3000 sheep, a bunch of really good Porsche's and some race cars. No, I didn't say that. I just had to do that. Sorry. He had 3000 sheep, 3000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And the name of the man was Nabal, And his wife's name was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. This is always, guys, a wonderful combination if you can find it. <laughs> Somebody that's really figured it out and good looking to boot. Well, but the man, her husband, was harsh and evil in his doings. And he was of the house of Caleb. Now, Caleb was that, uh, remember when the children of Israel came up on the, the promised land after they just came out of egypt and there was two spies that went into the promised land that came back with a good report the other 10 from the other 10 tribes came back with an evil report and the two that came back with a good report was joshua who went on in moses's place as moses died and we also find the other one was named caleb and caleb was already pretty old and yet he still went into the promised land and uh, there was only two that did, and that was Joshua and Caleb that went into the promised land. Everybody, all, all the other old people, all died off in the wilderness. When they told Moses, "We won't go into the promised land," and God said, "Okay, you won't go. You won't go." And they all wandered off. They all died, and their children uh, were then allowed to go into the promised land. So, um, which is interesting here, because you find Caleb is a great man of faith in the Bible, and yet you find in in Nabal a, a, a scoundrel. So it tells me a little bit that that um, our um, religious heritage is non-transferable. <laughs> Just because you may have had a really good family doesn't necessarily mean that you will be. Now, I've got to tell you something. You stand a whole lot better chance of you having a good family or, or having some good values in your life have, if you've come from something like that. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says, too, much is given, much is expected. And so I think that really Nabal... Uh, knew a lot better uh, to do better than he did.
0: If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab the free podcast of It's Time by hopping on the iTunes Store and downloading your own copy. If you like having the disc, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order for First Samuel. From Pastor Mike, myself, and all of us here at the River, thanks for tuning in to It's Time.